I started reading Edgar Allan Poe when I was nine, almost ten years old. My mom had just married my stepdad, and he brought a copy of his collected works into the marriage. I think I was probably a little too young to read The Telltale Heart and The Cask of Amontillado, but there it is. I've never claimed there wasn't anything wrong with me. About that time, I was also reading the whole of Sherlock Holmes's works, and by the time I got to reading a couple of Agatha Christie books, I got to Murder on the Orient Express, and I, my reading taste changed, and I was off reading something else. And so as I hear the word mystery, a very specific set of feelings come to mind. Mystery means something specific to me. Some of you, maybe you hear the word mystery and you think of TV shows or you think of radio whodunits. And, and that's what brings you uh, meaning to this word mystery. But whatever it is, when you hear the word mystery, I can almost guarantee that what comes to your mind is not at all what Paul means when he uses the word mystery. When Paul or other New Testament writers use this word mystery, he's talking about something that in the past was unclear, but now we know because God has revealed it to us. A mystery in the Bible is something we could not have known except that the Lord makes it known. Mysteries abound in Scripture. Even, or especially, in those things that the Bible reveals about God. Very often, we know that something is true, but we have no idea how or why. We can know true truth, but we will never know exhaustive truth, which is why we must stay humble. We can understand many things through diligent application of our minds to the Scriptures, accompanied by hearts that are open to the Spirit, but we will never not in a million years comprehend God. Now last week, we came to one of these profound mysteries. We came to this idea that the cosmic God, the cosmic Lord, the One who is sovereign over all of creation, became a baby. The cosmic Lord of all became the obedient Lord and Savior. How is it that that happened? have no idea. Except, I can know and I do know what Paul reveals in his word. And tonight, we're going to pause. We're going to stop our passage by passage look through Philippians and what we're going to do is we're going to look at Philippians as a whole. We're going to take six passages and we're going to see if we can use what we did last week as a jumping off point to understand Christ better because Christ is Lord and this is the most important theme in all of Philippians. So, let's go to last week's passage and see 
what Paul says there. I'm going to start in verse 6. Though Christ Jesus was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But He emptied Himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed upon Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. And even in such a small letter as Philippians, the content that we would go and look at to see that Jesus Christ is Lord would fill up a book or more. And so we need to narrow it down even further. So what I want to do tonight is I want to look at one aspect that Paul reveals about the Lordship of Christ. The fact that He is King of Kings. He is President of Presidents. And today we are going to look at what Paul says about the day of the Lord. Now, the most stunning description of the day of the Lord, which is a theme throughout Scripture, the most stunning description, in my opinion, is found in Amos chapter 5, verses 18 and 20. The prophet says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord! Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or he went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light with gloom with no brightness in it? Now what we see throughout Scripture is that the day of the Lord is the day when the Lord returns and He sets all things right. Now, I don't intend tonight to get into when it's going to happen because Bible-believing and Christ-honoring persons have disagreed. And really, frankly, we just don't know. Praise Jesus. But you recognize the feeling that Amos is talking about here. The prophet is addressing the people of God who are upset about their culture. They're upset about those people. God, go get them. God, just bring the day of the Lord. We're tired of dealing with those people. But the prophet rebukes those who say this type of thing. Instead, we should pray, rather, that the day of the Lord, instead of praying that the day of the Lord should come, we should pray and act such that those who are nearest will be ready for the day of the Lord when it comes. But what I want to emphasize in Philippians tonight is the same emphasis that I see in Paul's teaching. What I want to emphasize tonight is that Paul is very clear that the day of the Lord is the day of Jesus. Because Jesus is Lord. And it will be a day of darkness, as if running away from a lion and you try to get away from the lion and a bear eats you. 
Or instead of getting eaten by a bear, you get into your house, you think you're safe, and a snake bites you. Futility. Desperation. Darkness. But that is not all there is to say about the day of the Lord. In fact, that's not the emphasis that Paul makes at all. What will the day of the Lord mean to those who trust His promises? In a word, what Paul teaches, is that the day of the Lord shows the cosmic Lord, Jesus Christ, as sovereign over all creation to bless those who trust Him and to destroy those who refuse to bow the knee. What we're going to see tonight is that you and I need to stand firm in the cosmic Lord. So let's look at six passages in Philippians. As I said, this is not going to be a regular sermon. But let's look at six passages and quickly see how Paul unpacks the day of the Lord. We start in chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Note, first of all, What the Old Testament has consistently and universally called the day of the Lord, Paul now calls the day of Jesus Christ. This is yet more evidence that the Lordship of Jesus, the fact that He is the Lord over all, is the most important theme in Philippians. Paul views Jesus as the cosmic Lord here because Jesus is the one who judges who is complete and who is not. Who is in and who is out. Paul gets this idea from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 33. Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. We find out as we continue in the passage, the sheep Jesus allows in. The goats the Lord casts out. He's Lord like that. And you, can trust your cosmic Lord because He will not fail you. If you trust His promises, then you will be one of His sheep. Now, as everybody in this room knows, it is a painful process to change from a goat to a sheep. Do I hear any amens on that? But He will make sure it happens. You can rejoice in your cosmic Lord because He will get you there. That sin that you just can't seem to get past, He is now using in His shaping process. How is it that He does that, you ask? I have no idea. But I know that He does. 
and I know that he will finish what he began. You can be motivated to pursue the kingdom of God in your heart and in the world around you. Why? Because you'll notice the tool that Jesus Christ uses to bring to completion this transformation that He undertakes with us that takes us from being a goat to being a sheep. And what is the tool that He uses? Prayer and partnership in the good news. How do you stand firm in the cosmic Lord? Prayer and partnership in the good news. My friends, this is why we get together. This is why we do serve Santa Maria on May 4th. This is why we participate this Saturday at the um, Central Coast Rescue Mission as they celebrate Easter in our community for those who aren't going to probably get Easter baskets. Not because Easter baskets are the important thing about Easter, but those kids think they are. And if we can sneak in the gospel while they're getting those Easter baskets, then we have done something in partnership with each other and with the cosmic Lord. What does it mean? means you trust his promises that you'll be safe going to Buena Vista Park what does it mean it means you trust the promises of God for him for you in Christ namely in this case he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus huh maybe we should make a song out of that verse so that we can sing it oh never mind It also means you rejoice. Rejoice that no matter what it is you're going through, you can stand firm in Jesus because He makes you to stand. And it means that you are therefore motivated to pursue the kingdom of God. The more you look to Jesus, the more you will recognize He is the cosmic Lord over your life now and the future so that you will therefore be more motivated in the future to pursue the kingdom of God. Jesus said this was true. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. So fix your eyes on Jesus at Buena Vista Park from 12 to 2 this Saturday. Fix your eyes on Jesus as we go to Temple Bethel in the morning of May 4th. And in your small groups. And in your Bible study time in the morning. And the next passage continues this very same idea. We're going to pick it up in verses 9 to 11. Paul prays for us. He says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of of God. You can trust your cosmic Lord because you will be pure and blameless on that day. If you will hear his words now, then you will hear his words then. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Again, not because you're so beautiful, not because you're so smart, not because you serve the Central Coast Rescue Mission every single day of your life, but because He puts these into you and through you and for you. 
so that you can be that blessing. Now, how then, looking at these verses, how then do we trust his words now? Well, he tells us prayer. Prayer that you pray that God would work in and through and for you. And prayer that others around you pray that God would be at work in and through and for you. This is a community project, my friends. This is why we're here. This is why we are together. And it's what will enable us to grow in our knowledge. And as we grow in our knowledge of Him, as we know Him better, then we will be able to approve what is excellent. And as we just noted a moment ago, it, Paul knows that Jesus, not our efforts, will finish this work. Praise Jesus. But as we go through life, it'll be Jesus using our efforts to mold us and shape us and make us so that we will be pure and blameless for that day. The day of Christ, the day of the Lord, is that day when worry and strife and misgivings and toil will end. The race will be finished, and we will rejoice that God has vindicated Himself in front of everybody in the universe. And an important aspect, not the only aspect, but an important aspect of that vindication is you. Because he will have ensured that you are pure and blameless on that day. And the mouth of Satan and all of his horde will be shut. Because you will be covered in his righteousness. And he will look at the acts of your life and he will say, he will burn away the dross. It will be gone. And by God's grace, those things that you have done in his power will shine forth like gold and silver and precious stones. That vindication of his glory on that day will be the fact that you are pure and blameless. Wait, 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 me? Man, if you only knew half the things I did, you would never say that. Yes, that's probably true. You wouldn't want to be here either. But what I can say is that Jesus, your cosmic Lord, will ensure that you are, in fact, pure and blameless. When he said, it is finished on the cross, his words recorded in John 19.30 means that your work is finished too. You already are seen as pure and blameless, so live like it. You can be motivated to pursue the kingdom of God in your heart and in the world around you that day because God will show himself righteous so you can stand firm in your cosmic Lord. Pastor Benji is, is fond of reminding us, and he did so several times today, rehearse the good news. Remember to remind yourself that the work is done. Turn to Him instead of your various sin management strategies. Turn to Jesus. Read what He said. Trust His promises. And therefore stand firm in your cosmic Lord. And as you do, you will see what we read last week. Verses 9-11 through 11 of chapter 2. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus, because he humbled himself, and has bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every 
knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, what on earth does this have to do with Him vindicating Himself through us? Every knee. Every tongue will confess. And for now, for a short time, just a mere breath of time, you can choose to bow the knee, to confess with your tongue. Now. To bring Him glory now. So when that day comes, you will be ready and God will be glorified. God the Father will be glorified. Make no mistake. Make no mistake. Every single person who has ever lived or will live will in fact confess. And you today can trust your cosmic Lord because no one and no thing is outside of the bounds on that day. Every knee. Every tongue. No matter who is standing up against you, who is frustrating you, who is turning your projects to glorify God into nothing, no matter even yourself. Because frankly, I don't need demons on my shoulder. I come up with enough evil of my own. Nothing will stand in your way because Jesus is Lord of all. You can rejoice in your cosmic Lord because you have been granted that choice today. He has given you the privilege of joining Him today. He has granted you the opportunity of glorifying the Father today and being able to shout, Woohoo! Praise Jesus! I thanked Benji for that shout out this morning. That was cool. You can be motivated to pursue the, good, the kingdom of God in your heart and in the world around you as you think about that glorious day. God wins. Therefore, stand firm in the cosmic Lord. I got an idea. Just a thought. If you're able, take a moment each day and physically bow before the Lord. If you're able. I understand not everybody is, but do it because there's nothing like changing your physical posture, especially as you go before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and you begin your prayer, your majesty. Now you can also stand up and say, my father. But it would do all of us well to remember the person to whom we pray is the cosmic Lord of the universe. Almost immediately following that verse is the ones found in chapter 2, verse 14 to 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine like lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor 
in vain. Once again, Paul emphasizes that this is the day of Christ. This is telling. Paul knows no other Jesus other than the cosmic Lord. And Paul knows no other child of that cosmic Lord than those who practice bowing their knees in their relationships today, even if that bowing is just in their hearts. Because when we bow the knee to our cosmic Lord, then grumbling and disputing become service and sacrifice for God's glory and for your joy. But it does cause us to question. It it brings up a question in my mind at least. Is Paul's joy here on that day dependent upon the Philippians' behavior? Let me make this more personal. Are my brothers and fathers in the faith? Is Pete Diaz and Don Burgess and Ralph Covington and Art Valadez my fathers in the faith going to kind of be embarrassed because I didn't do everything that I coulda, shoulda, woulda. Emphatically, no. Emphatically, no. They will not be. And there is a sense in which I really must live in such a way that they will rejoice. Don't grumble. Don't dispute. Go to Jesus in His Word so that you will have the courage to live above reproach and the grace, the power of God to accomplish kingdom purposes in your life. Trust in your cosmic Lord because you too will rejoice in that day. Rejoice in your cosmic Lord because you will be surprised, I believe, that you have influenced others into greater steps of faith. Many of you not knowingly, but you too will rejoice in that day, at others' faith. And that is why you can be motivated to pursue the kingdom of God. Great is your reward in those who will rise up on that day and call you blessed because your Savior and Lord is working in and through and for you. So stand firm in the cosmic Lord. Stand firm and rejoice with those who are around you. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Because the cosmic Lord will finish it. Look at how it is finished. Chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Here it is. Why is it that we can trust and rejoice and be motivated towards kingdom purposes? Because your cosmic Lord works and He will work. Last week we spent the time looking at the obedient Lord, the one who came to be our servant and yet was Lord. But this time we see the cosmic Lord, the one who is ruler over all things, using the power that enables Him to even to subject all things to Himself for His glory and for your joy. And the example that he uses is one that all of us can identify with. 
How many in this room right now have somewhere in your body that is hurting at this very moment? It's going to be gone. All right, you're too young, son, but you'll get there. Don't worry. It will come. Amen? He uses this merely physical illustration because he knows it hits right at our hearts. But it's not merely physical, is it? It's mental. It's spiritual. He, your cosmic Lord, is going to use his power that he holds the sun together with for your good. So you can trust your cosmic Lord because He's got it. It's in the bag. The fat lady is already singing. We're up 10,000 to 1 and there's 3 seconds left. You have a professional all-star team and we're playing kindergartners. The game is done. You can rejoice in your cosmic Lord because you will not always find it hard to walk. Physically or spiritually. You can be motivated to pursue the kingdom when you stand firm in Christ, when you allow God the Spirit to move in you and through you and for you to know Him better. Because as you take the time to know Him better, you will therefore love Him and trust Him more. You will see this day coming and you will rejoice and you will know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So stand firm in the cosmic Lord. How do we do that? We keep moving forward. We rejoice. And that is exactly what Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, in this culture today, we don't really talk like that, do we? What does it mean that something is at hand? Well, for example, this Bible here is at hand. It is close enough for me to reach out and grab it. This stand here, this podium is at hand. It's close enough for me to grab. And so when Jesus says, repent, Because the kingdom of God is at hand. He's telling you that the reign of God is so close to you, all you've got to do is reach out and take it. In Acts chapter 17, verse 24, Paul is very clear. He says, the Lord is near to everyone. Close enough for us to reach out to. Therefore, rejoice. Rejoice. It really is that simple. Not easy, but simple. Because rejoicing means you have a change of perspective. As Benji pointed out, several illustrations going around the roundabout. We get all bent out of shape. Why? We should be rejoicing. Because the the news is so good that we can just party right on through that roundabout, no matter who's there. Furthermore, we can trust our cosmic Lord because trusting His promises brings a peace that surpasses understanding. Rejoicing in our cosmic Lord because He commands you to do it. You can be motivated to pursue the kingdom of God because peace is His answer to every prayer that is prayed for His glory and the growth of His kingdom. 
Now, this is mystery. These are things we could not have known had He not revealed it to us. As is this table. It is a mystery. How is it that the cosmic Lord became a baby? How is it that the one and almighty God, the second, the second person of the Trinity, can come and dwell in us? How is it that He can share with us Himself? I don't know. I don't know how He does it. I don't know why He does it. But I know that He does it. 